<laughs> Good morning, Church on the Rock. My name is Rashad. I am the cool pastor here at Church on the Rock. Maybe right now, after the sermon, maybe not. <laughs> um, we do that to make sure that you're awake, that you're here. It's the first Sunday of the year. We want to make sure that you're like really present here and, and up and, and aware of what's going on. So we, we literally do that just to make sure that, that you're ready for the word of God. Uh, let's do that one more time. Good morning, Church on the Rock. All right, so we're back in Romans, okay, and before we get started, I got to give a, like a, I mean, Tyler helped me out. She said a somewhat tough message. It's a tough message. It's not somewhat tough. It's absolutely tough, but um, two things, well, a lot of things before we get started. One, um, my responsibility as a pastor is to take the truths of God's word, um, study it, interpret it. Let it change me and change my life and obedience myself, and then bring it down to a level where everybody in this room, prayerfully, through the Holy Spirit's working, can understand what the Word says and then actually go out and obey or, you know, take those convictions and change their life. Therefore, sometimes when some of you who are a little bit more well-versed or know deeper things about uh, the Scriptures because you've been doing this a little longer, sometimes you may get bored on a Sunday morning. Uh, I would first challenge you to check your pride, if that's the case. Uh, but I would secondly say to remember that my responsibility is to give a message that can be received and understood so people can run with that message, all right? Um, also, with that comes the fact that we're preaching through a book of the Bible, Romans. That means no matter what I've talked to you one-on-one -on -one about this past week, this past month, whatever, nothing is uh, me sniping from the pulpit to, like, get your attention specifically. I preach what the Bible says. Uh, so if you feel some type of way when I'm preaching, it's never me thinking about you that way. I am preaching the Word of God and just unpacking His Word. So there's that. Um, so... In Romans, this next section that we're going to be in, um, that's going to go from Romans 1.18 to Romans 3.23, it's going to be about sin. It's going to be repeated a lot of ways, and it's going to get kind of repetitive. But when the Bible repeats something, it's because it's important. They really want you to understand. Paul really wants the reader to understand how important this part of what he's saying is. So if you hear the same thing over and over, well, it's because probably... You didn't remember it from the last time we said it. Let's just be honest, right? Like, I could ask somebody, hey, what did we talk about last week? And you're like, I don't really remember. And that's why we repeat things over and over and over and over and over again. Um, this text, I'm being very careful with, but I want you to know my door, my phone, my email is open because you may be challenged by what I say. The song we sang, we put it there for a purpose. Ty said, I lean not on my own understanding. You will walk into a church with a lot of things, baggage from what you've been told over years. I'm not knocking any of your former pastors or your parents or anything, but when we show you something in the scripture, um, give up on your understanding and let God speak to you. If you still struggle with it after that, with what I said, then let's talk and let's, you know, don't feel like you're bad for telling me I was wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times, and plenty of people in this church have told me I'm wrong, and I love them all, kind of, all right? So, <laughs> so I, I, I want to give you all of that because we're about to get into uh, the nitty-gritty of, of sin 
over the next three months. We're done with the opening introduction, and so I want you to always know you can reach out. Uh, people say, I don't want to bother you. Bother me. This is my responsibility. Bother Jason. Bother the care leaders. Bother the deacons. This is because all we're trying to do is grow everybody in their maturity and understanding of the gospel of faith. So with that said, the name of this uh, series that we're starting is called Abandon. I pray we can get through it in three weeks, but I'm going to let God do what he wants to do. All right. We're going to start off by kind of recapping the gospel talk series by looking at Romans 1 verses 16 and 17 first. So uh, Paul said, for I am not ashamed or disappointed in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Why? Because in that good news, in that gospel message that Jesus died for our sins, that is where the power of God for salvation is. It's inside of the gospel. And it's to everyone who believes. Now, I want to rest on that word real quick to make sure everybody in here, especially with it being the beginning of the year, understands what belief means, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a heavy weight for everything that we're doing today. So a lot of people think belief means to agree mentally with something. And that's half of it when you're talking about the Bible. So People believe in Jesus, that he walked this earth and he died. People believe in God and that God is the creator. Uh, they believe those things mentally. They have an intellectual belief of it, but they won't put their weight on that. They won't put their trust on that. They won't put their dependence on that. So, like, um, you can believe, I believe that chair is there for me to sit in it, but I don't know if I'm going to actually sit in it because I don't know if it can hold me. You, you, see, you see that? I believe the chair is there and that I can sit in the chair, but I don't trust that if I put my weight on that chair that it can hold me. A lot of people, when they think of salvation and believing in God, they say things that they agree with mentally, but when it comes time to put their weight on the chair of Jesus and actually obey and do as God says in his word and actually see his truth for what it is, they will not put their weight on that, and therefore they truly don't believe. Does that make sense to everybody? I'm trying to bring it all the way down here. Does that absolutely make sense? Okay, it's not. Okay. So the power of God for deliverance from something is for everyone who believes what? Believes in God and his truth. Believes in everything he says in, in his word. Believes what he says about Jesus Christ. Believes that Christ is the only way to heaven. Uh, depending on him. Putting my weight on him. Obeying him as a result of my belief. Because if I believe it, then I'm going to put my weight on it. I'm actually live it out. All right. Verse 17. This was the gospel talk. For in the gospel, that good news... The right standing or the set standard of God. God has a set standard. We talked about this. In the gospel, it is revealed to us what that set standard is. Perfection, holiness, completely not messing up anything. And we cannot meet that standard. So Jesus Christ is who we need to meet that standard. And if you believe in that, then you obey what Christ says because you see him as your Lord and Savior, and it creates something where you put your weight on Jesus. So in that, in the gospel, the right standing, the set standard of God is revealed from belief to belief, from 
trusting, I mean, from believing and trusting or trusting and obeying to trusting and obeying. It's from belief to belief, from faith to faith. That's what that word faith means. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And we had Lewis and we had Nick preach on that and open that up. And that's kind of what it came down to is that uh, belief versus behavior. And that belief from beginning to end is what is what the righteousness of God says is like that belief in Jesus Christ. That brings us to where we are today. Abandoned. Abandoned. So what we're going to be talking about to open this up is how man has abandoned the truth of God. God sets the standard and says the only way to heaven is that you trust and you believe that you, that you think about it mentally, you agree mentally, and everything in your weight and your dependence gets set on this truth that Jesus Christ is the only way. And if I make him Lord and Savior, then I will obey, I will show it, I will live it out. And as a result, that's how we get to heaven. And now we're going to talk about what happens when we abandon that truth or all of God's truth. So Romans 1, 18 says this, for the wrath of God... Is revealed. So the power of God we talked about, the righteousness of God we talked about, but now we're talking about the wrath of God. And let me tell you something. If you go to like a homiletic or a preaching class, they'll probably tell you don't talk about the wrath of God on the first Sunday of the year, right? <laughs> like you got new people come in and trying to try out. You don't talk about the wrath of God. Well, this is how God set it up. So this is where I'm at, and we're just gonna tackle it. But it says the wrath of God is revealed. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, I want you to understand this. The word wrath um, is, is anger. Um, a better word is hatred. The hatred for sin of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Um, God actually is angry and hates sin. And we don't teach this necessarily too much. We skip over God's wrath because that's not what you preach to people who want to learn about God's love, right? Wrong. Wrong. You have to preach on the wrath of God to be able to teach on the love of God. And you have to preach it thoroughly to the point that Paul takes 200 and, uh, 124 out of 270 verses in the first eight chapters of this book to talk about sin and wrath. That's how important it was, right? And, and, when, you look in, and when you look in those eight chapters, um, um, 24 times it uses the word faith, 77 times it talks about sin because Paul's trying to get a point across about the importance of the wrath of God. And so this is, this is something that America doesn't like because we hear statements like this right here. Uh, God hates sin. God loves the sinner. Has anybody ever heard that before? God hates sin. God loves the sinner. Like, you don't have to talk about wrath. I mean, yeah, God hates sin, but God loves the sinner. And, I, and I'll tell you this. God does hate sin. God does love the sinner. That, that's true. I can show you that biblically, but here's the part we miss right here. God hates the sinner. Yeah. Yeah, see how tough it is? Somewhat tough? Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's not somewhat tough. God, listen to me, listen to me. God hates the sinner, okay? He hates sin. He loves the sinner. We'll show you that. But he absolutely hates the sinner as well. 
And this is where it gets crickets, and that's okay. Just stay with me. Let me prove it to you because if the Bible is what we believe is truth and God's word is truth, then we don't want to abandon his truth. We want to live in his truth, so we'll open it up. Let's look at Psalm 11. Look at this. I want to I show you the wrath of God. Psalm 11, I'm doing it in the NLT so that it's very plain and very clear, okay? I trust in the Lord for protection. So this is David talking. <clears throat> Listen to what he's saying. I place my dependence and my weight of what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. I trust in the Lord. I put all my weight in the Lord for protection. I cannot protect myself. I can't do it on my own. There's nothing about me that will protect me. I put my trust in the Lord for my protection. So why do you say to me, fly like a bird to the mountains for safety? Keep going. He says, he says, the wicked are stringing their bows and fitting their arrows on the, on the bow strings. They shoot from the shadows at those whose hearts are right. So this is a fancy way, a poetic way of saying that the, it looks like the people who are wicked, who are unrighteous and ungodly, it looks like they're getting away with everything. When I look out and, and I look at the drug dealers and I look at the, the strippers and all, it looks like they're getting away with all that unrighteousness. Right? It looks like everybody, everybody who's doing wrong is living a better life than me, per se. And he goes on, he says, in the next verse, the foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous, the ones who believe in you, the one who placed their trust in you, what can we do? Like when I look around, it looks like the bad guys are winning. It, it, it really looks like they got it, like they're the ones that are living their best life now, right? So what, what, what are we supposed to do? But, but look what David says next. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. Where is the wrath of God revealed from? From heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Why is that important? Because everything good comes from above. So even the wrath of God, something we don't like to speak about, is a good thing. It's a very, very good thing. It's the character of God. And we're going to, God can't be a God who loves justice if he doesn't have wrath against injustice, right? If, if God is holy and has to hate sin and injustice, then there has to be a wrath with that. So his wrath is a part of his loving character. It's a part of his holy character. It's a part of his just character. You can't skip over it because it makes you feel uncomfortable. It's who he is. He's still a good, good father, even though he displays his wrath to all of those who are unjust, unrighteous, ungodly. It says he watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth, everybody, and the Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. And look at this. And he hates those who love violence. You see that? And I don't, go look it up for yourself in the Hebrew. There's nothing in here to make those anything else than sinners. He hates those who love violence. That's the Bible. I thought he loves the sinners. We'll get to that. He does. But he hates the sinner as well. And you have to know this. You have to believe this. You have to eat this up. Because if you don't understand the wrath of God, then there is no good news. When um, I, I had an um, article printed in the Hendricks County Icon this past couple weeks, and it was good news for me. I was like, yeah, man, I got a devotion in there. Yes, finally. And, and I called my brother who lives in Indianapolis, and he could care less. I said, man, I got good news. Called him early in the morning. Man, what? You know, he woke me up. 
Man, they, they printed the article in the Hendricks County Icon, man. He said, so? <laughs> I don't live in Hendricks County, and I don't care about that art. Like, what's that guy? What's good about you? Woke me up, bro. Like, and so, and, and you see how, like, that good news wasn't that good to him because it really wasn't no news at all. And what happens is if you remove the wrath of God from who God is, then the good news is just decent news or really no news at all. You, don't, you can't talk about salvation unless there's something to be saved from. You can't talk about what, What's the point in us getting up every Sunday and talking about salvation if there's nothing to actually be saved from? This is why we get bored with the gospel. This is why the, this is why the gospel's boring to Christians, because at some point we get to a place where it's like, eh, eh. And we don't really look at the fact that God hates sinners. Hates sinners. And the only thing that separates us from a sinner into being a saint is Jesus. That's it. You take away Jesus and you're the sinner that God hates. Think about that. Think about that. So, so he hates those who love violence. It goes on. It says, he will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with, the scorch, with, with scorching winds. He says, for the righteous Lord, you see that? The righteous Lord loves justice. So he has to hate sin. He has to hate the sinner. He has to. He has no choice. I know that's wrestling with you. I got you. Trust me. I'm going to bring it all the way across. Here's another one. I don't want to just give you one text. Look at Psalm 5. In Psalm 5, it says, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. As a result, look at this. He says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Why? You hate all, hate, you hate all who do iniquity. Do you see that? You hate who? All that do iniquity. Who are those people? Sinners. This is real. This is the wrath of God. This is what it is. He goes on and to just, you know, give you the rest of the context. He says, you destroy those who lie, who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors, that's another word for hate, basically, the man of bloodshed and deceit. He goes on. He says, but as for me, and this is David talking, and, and, and let me tell you this. This is a song. Could you imagine singing this? <laughs> oh, you hate them. Oh, we wouldn't sing this today, right? No, you do not sing this in church today. It doesn't make us feel good. I invited my friend. He might not come back because this is truth. You see that? This is a song they sing. So look what David, now remember, David is a sinner, right? He raped a woman. I believe he raped Bathsheba. And then even if he didn't rape a woman, it was adultery. And then after that, he killed her husband, right? Among many other things. And yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. What are you talking about? Well, this is where it comes from. He looks and says, you hate sinners. And because I actually believe that you hate sinners, because I actually believe that you absolutely hate sinners, if it wasn't for your mercy, your abundant loving kindness that I have placed my trust in, that I have put my weight on, I wouldn't be able to enter your house. The only way I can enter your house, the only way I can stand before you without trembling is knowing that I believe in your truth, and that's the only thing 
that separates me from the sinner you hate. You see this? The the deliverance of the gospel, the salvation we speak of, is a deliverance from the wrath of God. And it only comes from you placing all of your weight. I give it all to you, Lord, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. I'm going to climb this mountain with my hands wide open. There is nothing I'm holding on to because anything I hold on to of myself, you hate. Why? Because sin doesn't make me a sinner. I'm a sinner who sins. The thing I do is exactly what I am. So nothing I hold on to. Why? Because you hate the things I hold on to because of me. Think about this. Let this wrestle in your mind. It it, it creates the actual understanding of why every single week I have to preach the gospel. Every single conversation, I have to remind myself of the God. Why? Because he hated me. And if there's people in here who don't believe, guess what? You can fill in the blank. And the only thing that separates me from them is Jesus Christ. And the only thing that brings them from here to here is belief in Jesus Christ, not just an agreement, but putting your full weight on that belief. That's a whole different preaching right there. That's a whole different type of preaching. We don't teach that God hates sinners, Rashad, shut up. People won't come back. But if I love you, I won't let you walk out believing he doesn't. That's real. And so what happens is, he says, At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence because I actually believe that you are who you say you are. I I bow. Whereas those who don't believe who you say you are don't even believe that there is a holy temple to bow down in. So he shows you the line of those he hates versus those he doesn't hate. And it all goes back to his truth and what you believe. So he goes on. He goes on. He says, oh, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. Keep going. He says there is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. He's describing those who hate God, who've actually abandoned his truth. Keep going. He says, Hold them guilty, O God, by their own devices let them fall in the multitude of their transgression. Thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. So even when he's saying these words, it's not about his anger towards them. It's not about his wrath towards them. He's saying, Father, they're rebellious against you. I just have a heart after what you have a heart of. If you hate sin, I hate sin. So so do what you got to do based on what you said you, be faithful to what you said you would do, because the moment God fails to be faithful, he fails to be God. You don't want an unfaithful God. Finally, he says, but let all who take refuge in you, who trust in what you say, so they hide behind you, let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. And he finishes off with this right here, for it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor, as with a shield. So how does God hate sinners, Rashad, and still love sinners? Well, it goes back to the very basis of one of the most famous verses ever. For God so loved the world. What's the world filled of? The sinners he hates. You see that? He hates 
sinners, and yet he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say he so loved the world that he let everybody off the hook. You see that? It doesn't say he so loved the world that you could just think something and go on doing what you want to do, and as long as you just think it and agree with me in the mind and do whatever you want to do, that you're off the hook. No, no, no. God so loved the world that the wrath of God that belongs to you and I, you and I deserve this wrath, that he wants to rain down just, and, and here's the thing, it's right for him to rain it down on us. That's the thing. It's not him doing, it's not unfair it's completely, oh, it, he's still a good, good father. He's still the mighty, he's all those things if he rains down wrath on us because we deserve it. We, we actually deserve this wrath. And so the sinners who he hates have populated this world that he loves, these people that he, he still loves them enough to, to, give, to give the free gift of taking all the wrath that you deserve and placing it on his son, Jesus Christ. Can you, can you stop for a moment and think about that? He hates you because of who you are, a sinner from birth by nature. We talked about all of that before we got here. But because he loves you, and saw that there was no other way for you to dwell in his presence, he took all the anger, the hate, the wrath that you deserve, and he placed it on that cross so that anyone who places all of their weight, their trust and dependence on him, will be saved from what? The wrath of God. Do, do, you, you, do you feel that? That's, that's wow, right? That's huge. That, that is, that, this, is, this is why we cry, we shout, this is why we gather. If you take that away, why am I here? Why am I studying all week? Why are you singing at rehearsals? Why are you serving back there? Why, you take that away, what is there? This, this is huge. And so there's your love for the sinner that he provided the, 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 a deliverance, a way out. There's your love but it doesn't negate the fact, it doesn't override his hate for the sinner. And that's what all of our fancy shirts and cups say. God hates sin, but loves the sinner. I need to make a cup that says, and <laughs> hates the sinner to get the, full, to get the full picture here. Because it's those cups and those cliches that sound good that got us living a false gospel. All those good feelings and Ooh, tickle my ear sayings? They're going to tickle your ear all the way to hell. I know this is tough, but this is truth. And the only reason it's tough, this is the only reason it's tough. Most Christians can deal with this because they're like, well, I've placed my weight on God. You know when it starts getting hard for the Christian to believe this? When they think about the one in their life who hasn't. Because this is what happens. Then you start changing who God is. You go, well, surely my God. Forget what the scripture says. The God I believe in and I put my weight on, he would never hate a sinner. Why? Because my grandma doesn't place her trust on Jesus, but she's never done wrong to anybody. And there's no way the God I believe in would let his wrath on my grandma 
She's a sweet lady who's never done wrong. No, she doesn't believe in Jesus, but that shouldn't matter. My God wouldn't care about that. What Bible are you reading? What Bi- we change God when it's somebody close to us, and this is why everybody's resting in peace. Right? Boo-boo, Kiki, Ray-Ray, who cares what they was doing with their life? They resting in peace too. Who cares what they believe? Everybody's resting in peace. Because my God surely wouldn't care about everything they did in their life because now that I've lost them, they should be resting in peace too. It wouldn't be fair. Oh, you want fair, sinner? Well, then you sit on that cross for yourself. That's fair. You don't want God's fairness. You want his mercy, his grace, his love. Because that's the only thing that prevents your wrath or his wrath on you. So even in this, whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. But look what he says just, just a couple of verses le- later. He who believes in his son has eternal life. Yes, that is, that is God loving the sinners, right? But, but look how he still hates the sinner who doesn't believe. But he who does not obey, doesn't even say he who, he, it, look, it does not even say he who does not believe. Look what it says in, in parallel to believe. He who believes in the son has eternal life. He who does not obey. That's telling you something. Belief obeys. Look at that. Like, it's right there. He who, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey. Why would he not obey? Because he does not believe. See what belief really is? He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but what will they, what will they see? The wrath of God. Oh, man. And this isn't some human wrath. You know, um, human wrath gets pulled over, I mean, not pulled over, but somebody cuts them off on 465, and, ah, right? Like, that's human, right? Um, I'm going to pick on Charles again, because I picked on him last week. Charles, you remember that time we had, it was like one of our first meetings, and um, I had to cancel the very, very last minute, and you was like, bro, I love you, but don't, don't ever cancel a meeting with me when I didn't have to take off of work to meet with you, right? That was wrath, right? <laughs> that, was, that was the wrath of Charles, right? And that happened as a response to something I did that in the moment, right? God's wrath is swelled up. This, this word here is a swelling. It's something from the beginning. He didn't do this because of your sin, your sin. No, no, it's been this way long before you committed a sin. He's always hated sin and sinners in this way. So this isn't a human emotion. It's just that's the only way that we can understand it. So the wrath of God is to those who obey. So if we understand that, then we, we have to get to this place where we see Um, Our problem isn't just sin. The reason sin is our problem is because God has a problem with sin. Does that make sense? Like, if God didn't have a problem with sin, sin wouldn't be a problem. It, It wouldn't be a big deal. Sin is our problem because God has a problem with sin. Being a sinner is a problem because God has a problem with sinners. If you remove that, if you remove God having a problem with sinners, then we ain't got a problem. Who needs salvation? Why are we preaching the gospel every week? This is dumb. So, going back, keep going for me, Sean. I'm sorry. Like, ah, I'm so passionate about that. The wrath of God is revealed. That is a present uh, thing that continues. Some people say, well, I thought the wrath of God was just for the day of judgment. No, no. The way that this is actually put down in the Greek, it's present, so it's being revealed right now. It will continue to be revealed. It's being revealed to us, so it's passive. It's being revealed to us. He's showing us, and it's a fact. It's indicative. It's, it's an actual fact. 
So when you read passages that say the wrath to come, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, uh, you know that song we sing, Taste of Eternity, Clinton? That's one of your favorite songs, right? We say Taste of Eternity and we're talking about salvation. We're like, hey, there's a taste of eternity on our lips right now. You know, there's things we can do now. But there's a taste of God's wrath right now. Right? There's a taste of that eternity right now as well, and it's being revealed. So it's present now, but it'll also have a final day of judgment. Just like your salvation is present now, your justification is present now, but there's also a final day when it's, it moves to the glorification period. Okay? And so uh, it's revealed from heaven, good place, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is the first four uh, uh, commandments of, of the, the Ten Commandments. Um, Jesus summed them up saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, right? So, so those first four, when you disobey, don't believe, don't place your weight in loving God and with all your heart, mind, soul, and all those things, you are ungodly. The second one, unrighteousness, is the other six of the Ten Commandments. So, so, so when you break the, the truth that Jesus gave to us to love God and love others, you are being ungodly and unrighteous. Do you see that? That's, that's what he's saying there. So it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. You ever been in a pool with a little uh, big, like, beach ball that's sitting on the water? And then, like, you, you hop on it and try to hold it under? You ever done that? And, like, it, it wants to pop back up? That's what it's talking about when you suppress the truth. The truth wants to shine for the world to see, and you take it, and you're trying to hold it under the water. Or you're trying to put it in a box, and it's trying to get out, and you're holding the box. Lost my spot. Yep. All right. And so... And so, when, when, look, unrighteousness, you're suppressing it in your disobedience. When you disobey the truth that God has put out there for you to obey, you're suppressing it. You're pushing it down so that it can't be seen, and therefore God's wrath is on you. You see that? Does everybody got that right there? That's heavy. I know a little bit of, you know, ah. okay, so this is what happens. This is what happens. When that happens... Because, why, why, so why does he do this? Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So it, it's like either the way that this is translated, you can go within or to. So it's evident within you. God's placed something in you so that you know he is who he is. Or you can say evident to them, which is that God has put things around you. Either way, this is what I want to get you to. This is what I want to get you to. Um, go back, go back, go back, go back. Um, he made it plain for you to see. A lot of people would, this would be their first excuse. Well, hold on, man. How are you mad at me and he ain't, I can't even see him? Like, a lot of people who are my friends who don't believe in God go, how can I believe in somebody I can't see? That's, a, that's their first rebuttal. I would if I could see him. Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? You know, why, why would he make it so hard for me to see him? And so Paul answers that question in his defense. Remember, he's building a defense, and this is what he says. He says, for since creation... We had that word last week when we said God's the only one who can use that word. He makes something out of nothing. For since creation of the worlds, so since God made something out of nothing, and this is a big something, right? Like you a little something when he made you. But when he made the world, that was a big something, right? So since the creation of the world, when God made something out of nothing in making the world, all that invisible stuff that you say you can't see, his eternal power and his divine nature, he made it very easy to see being understood through the masterpiece that was created so that everybody in this room is without excuse. In other words, I don't believe in God. How I know God is real? Did you wake up today? That was God. 
Anybody like to go camping? Ah, stupid people. All right, look. <laughs> look at this. Look at this. When you go camping and you see the, the tree, I don't go camping, so I can't really do this. The trees and the, the dirt and all that other stuff that I don't know why people go do that. But when you enjoy all of that, that's God talking to you, right? When that wind blows on that jog around the block, that's God talking to you. You drove here and you didn't crash. That's God, gravity. That's God to the fact that we're not floating around right now. Imagine doing that service floating around right now, right? That's God talking to you, saying, I exist. What else do you need? You see that? He's made it plain and simple. He, you, you'd have to be a fool to believe that all of this happened because of a big bang. You mean to tell me? <laughs> you, let me, and, and I'm not, I'm, please, if you believe in the Big Bang, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time, okay? But I'm on the stage right now, okay? <laughs> so you mean to tell me all of the things that have to work in the way they work, and when you really get into like science and DNA and galaxies and gravity and all that stuff, you really tell me that just happened? That just by chance, that boom, that was it. You you really believe that deep down? You really, but like it, even when you get into the nitty gritty with people like that, they get to a point where they go, "Well, that's just what I believe," because they have no argument. They're like, like if, if I took you to the forest and you saw a basketball, you'd say, "Somebody put that basketball there." That's the only way it got there. Okay, cool. So why is it you don't think somebody put that world there? <laughs> that's a big ball, right? <laughs> that's a much bigger ball. Somebody put that there. Who put it there? So God says, I, I've been talking to you. I've been showing you I exist. You think the alarm clock woke you up? That was me. Your eyes don't open unless I open them. You, you see that? And so he goes on. He says, nobody has an excuse. Nobody. Because no, some people would say, well, the Jews had the old time. I don't care. And we really ain't got an excuse because he doesn't just communicate through us. I mean, uh, to us through nature, he does it through his word, right? But people, once again, they ignore that. So here's my first point. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when we abandon God's truth, we ignore his communication. And they really just, they kind of zip after this, okay? They zip. When we abandon God's truth, we ignore his communication. This whole section of scripture is about us abandoning God and the results of that. So when we abandon his truth, what happens is we ignore the way he's trying to communicate us to tell us who we are, what he is, so that we can believe in him for that salvation. But we abandon that. Not we believers, but the world in general. And so this is what happens when, that ha when we abandon. This is what happens. Go to the next uh, slide for me. For even though they knew God, okay, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So they know, deep down, when they, they look and they say, Some, something, something did create this and everybody's telling me God, but look. They know it's God, but they won't honor God. They won't give him thanks. They won't glorify him or give him thanks. So what do they do? They become dumb, ignorant, stupid in their reasoning inside of themselves. That speculation is a reasoning in the heart. Real quick, in the Jewish culture, when you think, you think with your heart. So that's why you love God with all your heart. You think with your heart. When we say, you know, heart, we're thinking love and Valentine's and Kiki, do you love me? Right? Like that's what, that's what we're thinking about, right? The Jews would have said the bowels, 
It comes from the bowels when you love somebody. Can you imagine loving somebody from your bowels, right? But that's what it, it was from the good. You love somebody from here. You reason with people from here. You reason with people from your heart. Your, your will, your choices come from your heart. So, so what happens is they wouldn't glorify God or give him thanks. They became dumb in their reasoning. They become empty in their reasoning, in their heart. When they're talking to themselves, they, they, they start coming up with these speculations, and their foolish heart is darkened. And so this is what happens. You say, I don't believe in God. I believe in Mother Nature. I believe in there's a spiritual existence out there that's doing. You start trying to think of your own reasoning for who created this. There's people who don't believe in God but believe in horoscopes. You see that? I don't believe in God, but I do believe that when the stars aligned between these months and these months, and I'm a cancer, so I'm a mama's boy, and everybody born in, come on, y'all. And tarot cards. And I, like, these are the things we, we, we exchange God for. So this is what happens. Look at this. It says, next, next, next. Yep. Mm, boom. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You start getting in your head, you start thinking, you, you, think, you start thinking like you can tell people who God is. And you become dumb. And, we, and, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that like you're dumb. I'm saying to think that anything other than God created the world is dumb. Amen. It is. It's just flat out dumb. But this is what happens when we ignore his communication. So going on, when you become dumb, you exchange the glory that belongs to God for an image in the form of men, birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. These are the people who, who I, I love my dog, I love my pet, he's still a pet. He's not a god. He brings comfort. When I lost my son, my pets brought comfort to me, right? But that comfort was created and given to me from God. I cannot take the glory that belongs to him for giving me the pet and give it to the pet. That's dumb. But that's what we do with our pets. My child, I love my daughter. She's not my God. That's the, that's the image of corruptible man. You, we, we rearrange our schedules. We break our backs for our children, and we won't break nothing for God. We won't move anything in our lives around for God. We'll move everything in our lives around for our children. That is exchanging what belongs to God for men and for pets and for four-footed animals. I love you. I'm just going to tell you. I saw that goat, all right? That little baby goat. I saw that baby goat. That's a pretty baby goat. You, rem you remind yourself it's a goat. It's a four-footed animal, all right? That goes in that category right there. You remember that, all right? And, and I... <laughs> Don't sacrifice the goat. Don't sacrifice the goat. <laughs> Welcome to Church on the Rock. <laughs> okay, get serious. And I don't know why you would want to give glory to crawling creatures. Maybe you campers would do that or something. I don't know. All right, so look at this. Here's my point for this part. Look at this. When we abandon God's truth, we idolize his creation. So you ignore his communication, and then you idolize his creation. And it's very dangerous because it can happen easily when you give the glory that belongs to God and the thanks that belongs to God to people, to things, to animals. You, you idolize his creation. And then finally, finally is this last verse right here. So therefore, remember, anytime you see the word therefore, it's because of everything that we just spoke about. 
So if you haven't read what we just spoke about, you go back, but since you just heard it, because we ignore his communication, uh, because we've idolized his creation, therefore God gave them over. And I need you, if you have your notes or if you have your Bible, circle that like five times because that's going to be how we break down the rest of this chapter. He's going to say that two more times. Why? He wants you to get it. He wants you to understand. Here's another, here's another thing that kind of goes with that God hates sinners. God gives people over. Don't nobody like that. Because of man abandoning God, God, people don't like the word abandon. God releases, surrenders, or gives up or abandons people to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And so we're going to break that down a lot more over these next two weeks. But look, um, there's three ways to look at abandon or gave them up. I want you to understand this. One way is thinking that because, um, because you're in the boat, naturally, naturally because you're in the boat, you're going to drift off. And so a result of your sin, because you're a sinner, God gives you up because you're naturally going to fall into more sin. There, eh, a little bit. Another view is that the boat is in a river that has a current that's pushing it. And so because you're in that boat and you're in that river and there's a sinful current pushing it down the river, that's God giving you up because he doesn't stop it from being pushed. That's okay. But and please go read this for yourself. Do not believe me. Please go read this for yourself. What this text is actually saying is you're in that boat and because of your ignoring his communication and because of your idolizing his creation, he actually gives you away. Like, you see the personal hand of giving you away? And nobody wants to hear that. Now, look at this. As a believer, as a believer, when you ignore God, you go through these bouts, he disciplines those he loves. That discipline will bring you back every single time. Okay? You may go years. That discipline that comes with him letting you have your way in sin, it will bring back a real believer. Trust me. Trust me, trust me. You will come back. But to those who absolutely have suppressed the truth and don't see God for who he is, when he gives that nudge, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's what the remainder, if you read ahead, that's what this talks about. This is the homosexuality. This is where it comes in right here. The exchanging the functions that go for a woman and wanting them for a man as a man. Or women exchanging their functions for each other. And this is where it's him let, it, taking off the restraints. Him giving you over. And nobody teaches that because my God wouldn't do that. Read your Bible then. And so here's where it all turns around, okay? And I'm going to ask the worship team to get ready to go on and come up here. So when we abandon God's truth, we initiate our own consequences. We, when we abandon the truth, we ignore his communication, all right? We idolize his creation, but we also initiate our consequences. We, we, we abandon him. He pushes us down like that. Those who actually do believe in his truth, it'll bring you back. That discipline will bring you back. But those who don't, the wrath of God is revealed. You... If you believe that this morning, if you actually believe that, it has to hit 
so heavy. Even if you are a believer, you have to think about somebody who's not. And you have to say, there's somebody in my life who is doing what God hates, hates sin, has the same opportunity for salvation that I have, because he loves the sinner, but God hates him. Ouch. And that's the heaviness of this scripture. And the, that's the beginning of the gospel. Why? Because when you feel that weight, it should lead you to this right here. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ coming and taking my wrath and dying for my sin. So I want, you to, I want the worship team to come up. I want you to look at these rock responses real quick. I don't want you to get up. We're going to do something a little different. Rock response number one. In what areas, this is what I want you to ask yourself. In what areas of your life is God revealing to you that you have abandoned his truth? For the non-believers, it starts with Jesus Christ. That's the area you've abandoned. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you have abandoned the truth that God says, this is the only way to peace, to deliverance in heaven with me. If you're a believer, God's nudging you right now on where you've abandoned him. Acknowledge it. This is just you and God talking right now. Acknowledge it, okay? Stay, just stay in a moment. Acknowledge what he's telling you right now where you have abandoned his truth. There's something in your life right now that God has said, this is not what I have for you. You know this is not what I want for you, and yet you're ignoring my communication. And you're idolizing something else because you're allowing that to be your God right now. Acknowledge that. And then look at rock response number two. Are you ready to lay down that area? Whatever you've acknowledged, are you ready to lay that area down in your life? And if not, why? Whether it be believing in Jesus and laying down what, what you think is going to deliver you for what God says is going to deliver you or laying down that idol that you have right now that you, that you know you shouldn't be holding on to because you know it's truth. Are you ready to let that go and lay it down? And here's my last one. Look at this. How can we, whether you are a member, an attender, a first-time guest, I don't care. How can we help you lay down and surrender yourself to him once and for all? Because this is what I'm going to tell you real quick. There's so many times that I've said that I was going to lay something down in the emotional moment of church, and then Monday came, and I wasn't laying it down at all. I want to make changes in obedience to this message that caused me to want to lay it down once and for all. Why? Because I don't want his wrath. I don't want the results of sin. I don't want the consequences of sin. I just want to put my weight and my trust in him and lay everything else about myself and my kingdoms and my thoughts down so that I am fully his. So I want you to take those three questions, those three responses. I want you to lay down in your seats right now. Lay your souls down. Don't stand up. And I just want you to reflect while Tyler sings and let the words speak to you and actually do something about this message today. Amen?
There is victory in my Savior's loss, in the crimson flowing through the cross, pour over me, pour over me. Guys, it's a new year. You know, once and for all, I, I really want these, these messages to mean something to us once and for all. The word said, my kingdom fall. Like, let my kingdom fall. Let myself die. And the reason you say those things is because you want his kingdom to rise and his kingdom to live. And none of you. Because it's you that causes that wrath. The beauty of this message is that in the midst of that tough, tough sermon, 
there's hope at the end in Jesus Christ. This is, this is why we do everything we do here at Church on the Rock. It's so that others can not only come to believe, but can come to grow in the peace of just resting in his truth and obeying his truth. So I'm asking you to lay yourself down today, once and for all, not in some mental agreement, but in a belief that leads you to make changes in your life because you love him. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your revelation to us of your character. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your justice, your holiness. Father, your faithfulness. And as a result, we actually thank you for your wrath. Father, we know that we are those who you hate outside of your son, Jesus Christ. And yet, in your word, even as enemies hated by you, you loved us enough to allow your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross while we were enemies so that any of us who believe in you, who call on your name, Father, will be saved, will be delivered from that wrath. I pray that those of us who know you take you serious. Father, I pray that those of us who know you find it in ourselves to make sure it's not a no that is simply mental, but that it's a no that moves us to live the life you want us to live so that we are not suppressing the truth of your glory. And Father, those of us who don't know you, I pray we look at creation and we look at the things of this world and see the beauty of your masterpiece and just come to the conclusion that you must be real, Father, and therefore your word must be true. And we stop suppressing that. We stop holding that back. And we get out of our foolishness and our darkness and our pride. We lay down everything we think we know and instead, we trust and rest and put our weight on what you have told us is true. And therefore, we receive your son as our savior. I thank you for this family. I thank you for the privilege to preach your message. May the hearts be touched and pierced. But ultimately, Father, nothing I say will save anybody. Only your work through the Holy Spirit regenerating these hearts. Father, you said faith comes by hearing. Well, Father, may they hear you and none of me. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. You guys have a beautiful week.